Well, again, good morning, Northeast, and a big shout out to those of you worshiping with us online. Uh, isn't it awesome that in our final week of this series on Sabbath rest, God gave you an extra hour of sleep? Isn't that amazing? We actually had several people show up to the 8 a.m. service that I think thought it was 9 a.m., and uh, it was awesome to have them with us. They were a little surprised, and that's okay. Uh, Hey, today we are completing, finishing out our series on the Sabbath. We've been building over the past several weeks a theology of Sabbath rest from the scriptures, hearing God's call to slow down, because it's really, really hard to connect with God and meet with God and hear from God at the speed of hustle. I don't know what picture comes to mind when you think about Sabbath rest. When, when I've asked people over the years, and especially in this series, what picture comes to mind when you think of a Sabbath rest, I hear things like the couch and a nap or, or a good book, like just falling and escaping away in a good book. For some, I've heard like getting out in nature and taking a hike and just being with creation, all, all well and good. But what I found as a kind of a common theme in all of this, when I ask people what what comes to mind as a picture of Sabbath rest is that most often people are describing an escape from as as opposed to an engaging with or engaging to. And specifically what people describe as an escape from is they're describing an escape from people. I mean, and let's face it, by the end of the week, we're kind of done with people, right? By the end of the week, we're kind of done with our own people, We wouldn't mind if they take a long walk in nature, right, and give us some Sabbath. We we, we get tired, and so we we so often associate Sabbath rest as an escape, and, and in particular, an escape from people. But maybe that's why, when we think of Sabbath rest, we are more inclined to picture rest happening away from the church than in the church, Because who of us is thinking, yeah, I want to gather on Sabbath with a couple hundred of my closest friends. But what if Sabbath rest wasn't an escape from, but rather a coming to? What if Sabbath rest wasn't an absence of activity, but rather the presence of a worshipful activity? And what if how we approached Sabbath rest wasn't just individual in nature, but communal together. What we're going to see today in the scriptures is that God's invitation to Sabbath was an invitation into a holy gathering and into a worship of him together as his people. And we see this right back in his earliest instructions to his people in the Old Testament. So grab your Bibles and turn with me to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23. Leviticus is the third book in, so start at the beginning. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And we're going to look at Leviticus chapter 23 and look at what God has described there for his people and the invitation that he's made for his people to come and rest in him. Leviticus chapter 23, if you have your Bible, pull it out or pull it up on whatever device you have. If you have neither, we'll put it on the screens for you to follow along. And we read this, Leviticus 23, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. 
Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So anytime we read the scriptures and come into a passage, we need to pause and we need to seek to understand its context. We can't ever read scripture apart from its context. Context asks questions like, who is this written by? Who is it written for? What was the occasion? These are just some of the questions that we ask when seeking to understand context. The context here in Leviticus is that God is speaking to Moses to give his law to his people, the people of Israel. And we've already seen in this series, and we've already talked about in week two, that we as New Testament believers, believers in Jesus, we are no longer under the Old Testament law. We looked at Colossians 2. Jesus has freed us from that. Jesus came and he perfectly fulfilled the law, a law that you and I could not fulfill on our own. Jesus fulfilled perfectly. He therefore canceled that law. He has now written a new covenant, a new law for new people, inviting new people into the family of God. And we are under grace, not under law. So we understand coming into the book of Leviticus, this is a book, God speaking to Moses, Moses to the people of God, giving the law of God for them. And yet, we've also seen in this series, week two, That Sabbath is rooted in creation and was rooted in creation before even the covenant came along. Genesis chapter 2. On the seventh day after creating all things, God rested. He made this day holy. He invites you and I to follow his example. Therefore, Sabbath is a creation principle long before it ever became a part of the covenant with the people of God. As we reflected that week, it means that Sabbath is a gift to us, not a rule over us. Remember, I would add to that a little bit and say it's a gift to all of us, not just a rule for some. Sabbath was a gift to God's creation as he reflected, as he delighted, as he gloried in creation. And because of that, because it's rooted in creation for all of creation, We always need to pay special attention then when we see the Sabbath in Scripture, even if it's coming in the midst of a passage on the law. What we're going to see today is that what God says here about the Sabbath echoes into the New Testament, is taken up by Jesus and taken up by the Apostle Paul. And so we want to pay special attention to this. I want to pull out a couple of things here, two things in this short passage about what God is saying about the Sabbath and Sabbath rest. First, notice when God speaks about the Sabbath, he's doing so in the context and lumping it in with appointed feasts. Read again verse 2. Speak to the people of Israel, say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. And then the very first feast that God talks about is the Sabbath. Now, do you find that odd at all? That that God is speaking about appointed feasts, and then the first feast in this list of appointed feasts is Sabbath? I find that odd. At least I did before studying it more. Because I never really viewed the Sabbath as a feast. Now, I'm all for feasting on the Sabbath, I am all for the queso that shall happen while we watch the Cowboys today to the glory of God, right? 
But here's the deal. We don't usually view the Sabbath as a feast because we get feast wrong. We don't view feast in the right way. We, we have to remember when we're reading this book that this book is not written from a Western perspective. It's written from an Eastern one. That makes you uncomfortable. You may not like Jesus. Sorry, that was random. I probably shouldn't have gone there. Too harsh, maybe. It's written from an Eastern perspective. Jesus lived in an Eastern culture, thought in an Eastern way. And in a Jewish culture, when they heard the word feast, they did not think food. They thought celebration. Feast has more to do with the spirit of an activity than it does with what is served at that activity or the condiments around the activity. Feasting is a spirit of celebration. When God invites his people to the appointed feast, he's inviting them into a celebration of these things. He's not writing for them the menu. How do we know this? Well, later on in Leviticus 23, if you continue on in the chapter, you'll get to a section where God speaks of the Day of Atonement. In verse 26, what you see there is that God, as he speaks of this feast, this appointed feast, the Day of Atonement, he calls all of his people to fast. That's kind of weird to do on a day of feasting. Because in context, it was a celebration. Not a potluck. See, here's the thing. God is clearly not talking about food at all. He is talking about a spirit in which we come and we gather before him to celebrate him. Very very simply, the first thing we see then is the Sabbath is designed to be a celebration of God and his finished work. Celebration being the operative word there. We've talked about this principle before. I am reminding you of it again at the end of our series because it's so critical that we understand the heart of what God is calling us into as we think of the Sabbath. It is an invitation to celebrate God and celebrate his finished work. As God celebrated the finished work of creation, you and I are called to celebrate what he has finished too and celebrate him Let's just pause on this, flesh it out for a moment. What comes to mind when you think of celebration? What comes to mind when you think of celebrating something or, or someone? What does a celebration look like to you? How, how do you prepare for a celebration? Do you dress up? Do you, do you put on a little makeup? Do you, do you go out for a night on the town? Do you leave the kids behind? It's the glory of God. Like, what does celebration look like for you? When I think of celebrating and I think of gathering, I think of gathering with people that I love to spend time with, people I may not have seen throughout the week, but that, that spirit of celebration comes in when we see each other and we're like, yes, I want to sit by you. I want to catch up with you. I want to hang out with you because there's something about you that just, man, it lifts me and it refreshes me. There's a sense of joy and excitement when I think about a real celebration When I think of a real celebration, I don't just roll in mindlessly. When a significant event like someone's birthday, a dear friend's birthday, or anniversary rolls around, I'm not rolling in mindlessly. I've been planning for that and preparing for it and anticipating it. Why? Because the person I'm celebrating 
matters. Are you catching where we're going? God invites his people not to a day of escape, but to a day of celebration. And it matters because of the person we're called to celebrate. There is a spirit that we are supposed to come into in this day, this Sabbath, because of the one we are called to celebrate. What does it say about us that we spend six days of the week planning and thinking about work and strategizing work and making phone calls about work and making sure we have lists about our work only to roll into the Sabbath day tired and exhausted with no plan at all. What does that say about what we value most? More importantly, what does that say about who we value most? Whose activity we value most? When I spend so much of my time planning and thinking and focused and celebrating work, I'm celebrating my activity, not God's. And God flips the script And he says, this day is to be an appointed feast to me where you come and you celebrate my work. And just like any other celebration, we ought to come in ready with the right posture. Just bear with me one more second longer. I mean, think about your own life, your own significant other. Think about what would it look like if you applied how you think and feel about the Sabbath to how you approach the birthday or the anniversary of your significant other. How would that relationship be going right now? If for six days you worked and you planned and you obsessed and you made all your phone calls and did everything for those days and then rolled in without any thought whatsoever for that celebration of the person who is the dearest to you? Oh, is it your anniversary? Man, I've been so busy with work. I just totally slipped my mind. Should probably go out, huh? I mean, if you want to live, sure. (laughs) I mean, so often we come into these moments and we know if a significant other is, is, has a birthday and we're celebrating an anniversary, we need to have a plan. Might be good to get a card. Might be good to have maybe a dinner reservation somewhere, to have put a little bit of thought into this person that you say is so special to you. God's saying, hey, this is an appointed feast where I'm inviting you to come to rest in my work and to celebrate that my work is finished and what I finish, I complete completely. And I want you to come and spend this time celebrating that and to show up unprepared, to show up saying, oh, I've been so busy, I didn't even give this a thought, to show up saying, do I have to? You mean we have to stop and celebrate? I have so much more to do. It's an affront. It's an affront to the one we've been called to celebrate. And what does it say to a watching world? If you were to pay no attention to the anniversary or birthday of your spouse, you convey to your neighbors, yeah, No point getting to know this person. When we pay no attention to celebrating our great God, we communicate to a watching world. Yeah, 
Maybe you're right not to come on Sunday. Maybe you're right not to pay attention. Maybe there's nothing to see here. God calls us to celebrate because it's the person that we're designed to celebrate. The Sabbath was designed to celebrate God and his work. So let me just ask this question. When was the last time you threw a dinner to celebrate God? For no other reason than just to celebrate God. When was the last time you gathered as a family? You called the kids, the kids that had moved away, and you got all the, the in-laws, maybe even the extended family. What's the big deal? What's the big announcement? We're here to celebrate God. And? No, that's it. That, like, that's worth celebrating. Is that not worth celebrating? When was the last time you threw a dinner as a family simply to celebrate what God had done for you that week? and to soak in it, and by soaking in it, to worship him and linger in that worship. When was the last time? See, we're so busy, we're so quick, we're planning so many other activities that the Sabbath gets relegated to the margins, and it's not just the Sabbath then that gets relegated to the margins. Worship gets relegated to the margin. We dare not cease to worship our great God. I heard one pastor talk about his family rhythm, how at the end of the week they would break from work by throwing a big dinner at the beginning of their Sabbath day. The night before their Sabbath day, they'd have this big dinner and they spared no expense on that. That was the, that was the meal that all the kids knew. We weren't eating chicken, we were eating steak, right? Like we, we were getting something special and they would, they would uncork a bottle of wine and they would sit around the table and they would linger. There was no rushing and they had great dessert to the glory of God. And they just lingered in that moment and their kids came to know that as a tradition, a special moment. And they would pause in those moments and celebrate where they'd seen the fingerprints of God. When was the last time you threw a dinner just to celebrate God? In Jewish tradition and Jewish custom, they stop every week and they begin the Sabbath, Shabbat, with a Shabbat meal. They dress, they prepare a fine meal, and they celebrate. There's another thing in the text, though, to pay attention to. First, God places Sabbath among feasts as celebration, but second, Notice what he says in verse three. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Not only is it a celebration, a feast, but second, he calls it a holy convocation. Two times in the passage we read this morning, we see that phrase, if you go through the entire chapter, you see it 10, maybe 11 times, depending on your translation. Holy convocation, holy convocation, over and over again. Anytime there's a feast, a celebration of God and his activity, it's tied also to a convocation. Now, some of you haven't heard that word since you graduated college. Convocation just means an assembly or a gathering. What God is declaring in this day is that you are to come and celebrate me and you celebrate me in this holy gathering. A gathering we call worship. We worship together on the weekend. It's one of our commitments because it's what God invites us to do as we celebrate his good completed work. It's designed to be both celebratory then. It's designed also to be communal. 
God intended that we would celebrate corporately. We would gather together. It means that, yes, one of the roles of the Sabbath is to refresh and restore you personally, individually. But one of the other roles of the Sabbath is that we would be restored corporately that we would gather corporately, remember his good works for us as a people. The Jewish custom, again, was to gather at the beginning of Sabbath. And not only would they gather with a meal, but at the beginning of that meal, they would light candles and they would recite a blessing and they would pray and they would, they would read and ground themselves in God's work. The, the beginning of their gathering and the beginning of their celebration was grounded in Scripture and grounded in who God is and what God has done. It's why we're called when we come in. We, we do the same thing. We pray. We ground ourselves in God's work through God's Scriptures. And what we see here in Leviticus 23, we see echoes of in the New Testament. Just consider the life of Jesus for a moment. The Scriptures tell us that Jesus, it was his custom to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, to be with the people of God and hear the word of God. Consider this from Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And as was his custom, speaking of Jesus, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Jesus gathering with the people of God to hear the word of God. What was true of Jesus is also true of the Apostle Paul. In fact, the scriptures say the very same thing about Jesus they say about Paul. That it was his custom to do this on the Sabbath. Consider Acts 17 verses 1 through 3. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis, I did not practice that this weekend before coming here, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Both Paul both and Jesus and the New Testament church that follows gathered on the Sabbath. They grounded themselves in the work of Jesus. Paul used it as an opportunity to point everyone who didn't know about Jesus to the work of Jesus, the finished work on the cross. This act of gathering and celebrating God's work together has continued now for thousands of years. We as a people, every time we gather in this moment, we're continuing to do what Jesus and Paul did grounding ourselves in God and his work. We do it now on Sunday because having seen Jesus' finished work on the cross, having seen him resurrected from the tomb, the early church saw that as the definitive moment of God's work that gave them rest for all time. So we reoriented our lives and even the, the church calendar around Sundays being our Sabbath so that we would never forget the finished work of Jesus. But the scriptures go on and they tell us, do not forsake gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. Why? 
because we need to be grounded back in Jesus. We need to remember that it is not about our striving. And our striving can cease and we can survive it ceasing because Jesus finished the work. Jesus paid the price. And that sacrifice is worth celebrating. You want to know why our worship is decidedly and unapologetically celebratory in nature at Northeast? This is why. Because we're not waiting for that work to be done. It is finished. And it is finished indeed. Is there a place for mourning? Is there a place for lament? Is there a place for repentance in the church? Oh, absolutely. I am not saying that there is no room for that. We have to. And part of what we're called to do in this space is to come and to confess our sins again, even confess them to one another. That's a corporate activity too, by the way. Sermon for another time. But far more the call in scripture is that it reminds us as often as we confess and repent, it reminds us all the more of God's goodness and his faithfulness to forgive us of all, all trespasses, of all unrighteousness. And so yes, we confess our sin and we turn away in repentance, but just as quickly we look up and we fix our eyes on Jesus. See, life has a way of thrusting our heads down Life has a way of discouraging us. Life has a way of reminding us of our sin and our shame. Life has a way of reminding us that other people have it temporarily better than we do. I say temporarily because this doesn't matter. This is going away. If you're living for this, it's going to be a very short race and you won't win. Life has a way of making us feel like it's always incomplete and we never measure up. Worship lifts our head. Worship calls us to remember that Jesus did something you can't. That Jesus took your burdens. Jesus has canceled sin and shame. And you now can rejoice in a finished work because you are a son and a daughter of a great king. You're citizens of a new kingdom. And that new kingdom is coming and God promises to restore all things. His glory, your good. When life is hard, we ground ourselves again in the truths of scripture and the truths of what God has done. We Sabbath before the Lord. Here's the point. Here's the point. Sabbath is more than an invitation to rest personally from your work. It is also an invitation to gather corporately and celebrate Christ's finished work together. I say that redundantly on purpose, corporately together. Because it's more than just you escaping your work individually. It's about gathering together and remembering his finished work corporately. And there are times, there are times that my heart is encouraged hearing you sing because I've had a hard week. There are times that I need the the smile and the greeting and the prayers of someone who comes alongside of me. These moments matter because they lift us and they show us where true rest comes from. So the question is, why would we not want this? Why would we not want this moment? 
Why would we skip this moment? A day at the beach is pretty good. A day at the lake is it's really good. I mean, take it from me. I, I need to be around water. I love to be around water to recharge. But there's only so much that can do for your soul. It cannot restore what is broken. It can give you only a fleeting taste of God's goodness. The taste of the goodness in creation is merely designed to point you to the one who can give you the full meal. So why would we skip this? That's why Hebrews calls us not to forsake this gathering, this assembling. And so let's not teach our kids to look anywhere else for rest when it can only be found in Jesus. Because any time that we forsake this, we tell them in an interesting way what we're actually counting on to restore our souls. So what do we do with this? What are the takeaways in this? First and foremost, make celebration a habit of the Sabbath. How is celebration a part of your Sabbath? When you, when you get that day off, six days you shall work, one day you shall rest. Maybe you're lucky enough to have two days that you shall rest. Is it a celebration? How are you making a habit of celebrating together as a family? How are you doing that? Maybe it's through a great meal. Maybe it's through a great family activity. But seek a habit of celebrating together. And in that celebration, pointing back to the fingerprints of God that you've seen that week. Make that a tradition in your family. I guarantee you, if you have kids in your home, that will be a tradition that speaks volumes to them. A tradition they do not forget. Secondly, make worship a habit of your Sabbath. Both worship corporately, but also worship privately. The scriptures tell us that anything you do can be done in a spirit of worship. We're going to invite Jesus into every moment, do everything in this spirit of worship. One of the things that I love doing on the weekend, my wife and I get that time, we'll, we'll go to the gym, I'll go for a run. I, I very frequently on that day am mindful that I've finished the week, and instead of like running from the week, I will, as I run, actively praise God and I'll actively thank him even for the ability to run. I didn't think I'd be running anymore by this age for a lot of other reasons. Don't try to figure that out now, please. But every time I run, I take it as an opportunity to just relish in God's grace that I'm still able to do that. I know the loads of laundry, they just keep coming. Can you really worship over tide. Yeah, maybe you can. Because God said you can worship in every moment. It's not, it's not about the songs you sing. It's about the posture of your heart. Bring worship into your Sabbath by bringing everything before Jesus. And finally, don't forget that Sabbath is both an individual and a communal blessing. It's both individual and communal. I struggled with this for a long time as an introvert because as an introvert, it doesn't mean that so many people get introverts wrong. It doesn't mean that we don't like people. It just means that we want them to go home at the end of the day, right? <laughs> extroverts, extroverts are like, hey, slumber party, stay as long as you want. Introverts are like, no, 
it's six o'clock, go home. I know we haven't eaten yet, that's fine. No, no better than that. Introverts just recharge in a different way, that's it. And growing up in my family, and what I saw as default is that we would recharge, and so often the TV was on when we were recharging. And so this thing gets locked in in my brain that in order for me to really have rest, I need like just 30 minutes in front of the TV at the end of the night. Maybe you can relate. Even if the meeting goes till 10 p.m. and I have a breakfast meeting the next morning, I'm like, I just need 30 minutes. I just need a few minutes. Let me catch the end of Sports Center. Let me catch a little bit of something funny that's not serious because everything in my life is so serious. And if I can catch that 30 minutes with a bowl of Lucky Charms, then I think like the clouds part and Jesus descends. It's beautiful. But for so long, I relied on that to be my rest. And here's the thing. That's not Jesus. What God's been teaching me as we've been shifting our patterns and shifting how we live as a family is that when I put my trust in Jesus and seek him for my rest, I can rest anywhere. And I can rest with people, not just escaping from them. And I found this year such delight in lingering with people Lingering at my house, lingering late into the evening, and not being so concerned about it. I found that my soul has been rested going in on Monday. Why? Because I'm not looking to anything or anyone other than Jesus to be my rest. I don't know if you've ever been seasick, like experienced seasickness. Years ago, we, we took the kids on a, on a really, really short, cheap cruise out of Mobile, Alabama, where cruise ships go to die. And um, it was a good deal, so we went. And, um, and it was the very first time, we've cruised several times, but it was the very first time that we've been out on a boat like that in a storm, and a, and a huge storm came up through the Gulf. And as the storm came in the Gulf, you, you start feeling things, right? It throws you off. They call it seasickness, motion sickness. And really, the thing behind motion sickness is that you could be walking, you know, down that hall where there's no windows, right? Down below the, the ship's deck, and, and you don't see anything, and yet your brain is telling you something's wrong. You're, you're looking at static points and objects, right? Doors and hallways. And yet your brain is telling you, no, this hallway's moving. And what seasickness is, what motion sickness is, is, is mind confusion, where what you're seeing and what you're feeling or experiencing are at odds with each other. And there's this battle and your brain is trying to decide, do I throw up, right? <laughs> How do I deal with this? How do I deal with feeling something that's outside of, of what I'm seeing? Life has this funny way of coming in and just throwing everything into chaos. And man, when the waves start kicking, we don't know what to look at. And in the midst of it, we start looking at a lot of other things and it just doesn't work. They, they say the key to motion sickness, to seasickness, is you gotta get back above deck and you gotta go out and look far out on the horizon and find a static point and fix your eyes on it. And then your eyes and your brain begin to connect and it makes sense that there are things moving in the periphery, but that thing there is static. And as you stare at it and as you fix your eyes on it, you regain control. 
Jesus says, you come to me. You who are weary, you being struck by the waves, you with all of life disrupting you, come to me. I will give you rest. And Hebrews takes it further and says in Hebrews 12, so fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. For the joy set before him, he took the cross for you. Is your rest found in Jesus? God invites us then to come, not escape, but to come and to come together. Together to fix our eyes on the one who is immovable and unshakable. I don't know what kind of storms you're experiencing right now, but would you come? Would you fix your eyes on Jesus? Would you quiet your heart before him and allow him to be your rest? And would you do so with us even now as we sing? Pray with me. Father God, in the midst of all of the tumult, in the midst of all the turmoil of a world that is different than what it used to be, changing rapidly when things are confusing and a mess. God, when it seems like so much is fragile and about to give way, we quiet our hearts before you and seek you as our rest. Father, we fix our eyes on Jesus who finished the work that we might be made right with you because of his sacrifice. So Father, would you calm our hearts? Father, would you grant us rest and the life abundant that Jesus promised? We ask it in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch slash contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.